Is that we got a tempo, but we don't have you. I don't. I don't want the tempo. Am I on? Am I working? You're yes, you're working. <gasps> I'm working. Oh my god. Wait, Yay. but I don't want this tempo. I wonder if if you. Okay, I fixed it. Okay, cool. We're on GarageBand. Really? Yeah. All right. So, so we got some. Really work. know what I did there, but magic. It worked. Okay. Well. Hello. <laughs> Hi, <Okay>. friends. <laughs> this is Midwest Madness. Yes. Um, a true crime and cult and cryptid and conspiracy podcast. Um, I'm Emily. And I'm Danielle. And do you think we should do like a little like intro about us before we get into our first I, episode yeah i think so okay well we're sisters yeah um, unfortunately for emily she's related to me <laughs> and we both are just like obsessed with all things true crime whether it be crime cults conspiracies or i don't even know what the last one is cryptids so cryptids. cryptids are things like bigfoot and mothman and um God, there's so many. Slender Man. Yeah. So we decided, you know what? Why not start a podcast, but focused solely on the Midwest, which is where we're both from. As you can probably tell (laughs) from our long O's and uh, Canadian sounding accents. Yeah, we do want to say that we both know we don't have the voice for podcasts, but you know what? We're here. We're doing it. So... And we have our in-studio buddy with us today, Emily's dog, Sirius. He's in my lap. And so if you hear some noises from from me, that's because he's jumped up or done something crazy. So Cool. Okay. Well, let's uh, get started with our first episode. I'm so excited. <laughs> <laughs> um, so as how this is going to work is each, um, every other episode... I'm going to be telling a story, and then Danielle's going to be telling a story, yep. um, and I am going to go first, and I picked a topic and place that is near and dear to my heart um, as I worked here for a summer in college, um, and that is the Glenshane Mansion murders. I'm so excited about this. I've been there one time, but that was like, I was probably in junior high, and so it's been... 15 years I'm aging myself it's fine (laughs) um and like when we went they still absolutely no comments about what happened yeah so that is a rule at Glensheen that you cannot um as a tour guide you cannot talk about what happened there um during the tour typically after if you ask your tour guide about it you know privately one-on-one they'll probably talk about it be more willing to talk about it but that was kind of since the Glenshine was gifted to the University of Minnesota Duluth by the family um they kind of just asked that we don't make it about that or they don't make it about that I should say now since I don't work there anymore um so yeah that's kind of why they don't talk about it but we're going to talk about it today um so yeah, let's get started. I'm so excited. Okay, so um, if you're from Minnesota or the Minnesota area, uh, you've definitely heard of the Glensheen Mansion. 
And if you've heard of the Glenshine Mansion, uh, you've probably heard of the murder that took place there. Um, so just a little background on the mansion itself. It was built in Duluth, Minnesota, right on the shores of Lake Superior between 1905 and 1908. The mansion was owned by Chester and Clara Congdon and was occupied by them as well as their six kids, Walter, Edward, Marjorie, Helen, Elizabeth, and Robert. Um, by the mid-1950s, the sole occupant of the mansion was Chester and Clara's youngest daughter, Elizabeth. Um, so did all of the siblings survive through childhood? Um, no, they had one son that died. Okay, because I was going to say... When it was a baby. That would be super rare for that many kids to actually survive. Yes, and I'm a terrible person and I didn't put him in there. Oh, <laughs> so, okay, so those are the six those surviving... Those are the six surviving kids. Okay. They had one son okay. who was younger and did not survive okay so yeah i know i'm a terrible person well still to have six kids back then survive, survive. all the way to adulthood i mean it probably helped that they were rich but. yes <laughs> um now elizabeth never married but she did adopt two daughters um marjorie who she named after her sister and jennifer um so in 1968 elizabeth suffered a a massive stroke and requir required around-the-clock care of nurses as well as her living staff. Um, so now to get to the story. Um, on the morning of June 27th, 1977, nurse Mildred Garvu, I'm probably going to butcher some of these last names. So I mean, they sound pretty French-Canadian, so <laughs> that's, considering what our last name is, I think we can let it slide because yeah. people have been butchering our last name for Ever. Ever. <laughs> um, so M Mildred Garvu arrived for her shift with Elizabeth at 7 a.m. Um, when she was surprised to find that the front door of the mansion um, was left unlocked. So when she walked through the front door, and if you've ever been to Glenshine, this is like the first thing that they do for a tour, is they walk you through the front door, and I'm sure you can kind of picture it in your mind. Um, there's a big, nice foyer and then you walk through the foyer, and there's this beautiful grand staircase. I do remember the staircase. Yes. Um, so she walks through the front door, and she walks towards the grand staircase, and she can see in front of her that on the, I guess you could say like the second floor landing, or like the landing between, there's like a staircase, and then a landing, and then another staircase, and you get to the second floor. Okay. So on that landing, um, laid quite a gruesome sight. Um, Velma Petila, the night nurse on duty the night before, was laying in a pool of her own blood right there on the staircase. <laughs> she had been struck 23 times, mostly in her head with a brass candlestick. Now, what really, like, sticks out to me about this story is it's very clue-like. Like, on oh the staircase yes. with the candlestick. Like, Oh my god, I didn't even think of that. <laughs> my first thought was, like... They always say how exhausting it is to, like, this is so gross that I know this, to, like, beat someone to death. So 23, 23 times. times is a lot. They must have, like... It's usually personal, too, when someone gets hit that many times. And in the head, right? Yeah, mostly in the head, yeah. So, that, yuck. Mm. Now, the really sad thing about this is... Voma had actually retired a month before this, um, and she was filling in for the night nurse that night who had gotten sick. Oh. So she wasn't even supposed to be there. She had retired. That um, is so sad. Yeah. So that, that always kind of got me. 
Um, so Mildred walks in, gruesome sight on the staircase. Obviously, her first thought is, where's Elizabeth? Yeah. Um, so she, you know, continues up the staircase. And it's the first bedroom on your right-hand side. Okay. Um, is where Elizabeth was staying. Um, and she was, again, greeted by a terrible sight. There lay 83-year-old... Elizabeth Congdon in bed with a silk pillow over her face. She had been smothered to death. The intruder had broken a window in the basement of the home to access it. Um, After murdering both Velma and Elizabeth, the murderer took a wicker basket full of jewelry from the house as well as the ring and the watch that Elizabeth had been wearing. The murderer then took Velma's car and drove two and a half hours south to the Minneapolis-St. Paul airport, parked her car in short-term parking, and took a flight out. Um, So from the start, police focused on Elizabeth's adopted daughter, Marjorie, and her husband of one year, Roger Caldwell. So, but she had two daughters, right? Yes. Why Marjorie? Do do they? Yeah, I'll get to that. Okay. (laughs) Um, So at the time of the murder, Marjorie and Roger had only been married a year and they were up to their eyeballs in debt. Okay. Yes. So they had recently had their car, home, and vehicle I said car, home, and vehicles, but they had their vehicles repossessed, <laughs> their home repossessed, and just a month prior to the murders, had been nine, denied oh, sorry, $750,000 from the Congdon Board of Trustees, and then just 10 days prior to the murders, they were also denied $250,000 to hire an attorney to help fight criminal charges that were brought against them for insurance fraud, as well as an arson charge against Marjorie. So they sound like real stand-up people. Yeah. Like, like they've got their lives together. Yes. For sure. So she was actually, Marjorie was actually charged with trying to burn down um, the bank in Colorado, which is where they were living, that denied them alone. <laughs> what yeah (laughs) aren't banks usually made of like brick yeah i'm sure it was probably not an easy feat but (laughs) i'm sure you'll see once marjorie sets her sight on things she she typically carries through with them unfortunately um so when elizabeth died marjorie was supposed to inherit 8.23 million dollars holy cow yeah and that was back in 1977 so so with inflation, that'd be even more. Yeah, Jeez can you even imagine? And for someone who is up in their eyeballs in debt, I'm sure that was a pretty pretty. So, um, during the murders, Marjorie was seen by multiple people going in and out of their gold their Golden Colorado motel. So they were currently living in a motel in Golden Colorado. Um, however, Roger was not seen for two days. So the first time he was spotted in two days was at a bank opening a safety deposit box back in Golden, Colorado. Um, That's not suspicious at all. Not at all. It also said that he had, like, cuts and, like, bruises on his face, like he'd been in a fight. Well, I'm sure that at least the night nurse, uh, Vera? Velma. Velma. I'm sure Velma fought back. Oh, I'm sure. I mean, it doesn't sound like Elizabeth was really in... No, she was shape paralyzed. I believe it was her left side of her whole okay. body was paralyzed. Because strangu- or suffocation isn't something you usually see with someone who's able-bodied, really, right? Yeah. Um, so, both Marjorie and Roger were back in Duluth for Elizabeth's wedding just a few days later. Funeral. Sorry. Oh, my <laughs> God. 
I'm a terrible person. <laughs> Funeral. I have weddings on my mind. I know mind. you do. I know. You've got a bunch <laughs> in the next year or so. So I get it. <laughs> After they checked out of their downtown Duluth hotel, the police got a search warrant for it. Um, they found a receipt for the Minneapolis-St. Paul Airport gift shop for a garment bag dated 6.40 a.m. the day of the murder. So that that morning, she was. they, they assumed she was murdered around... Two, three in the morning, and okay. they assume that because Velma's watch actually stopped right around Ooh, that time. That's so spooky. Yeah, so they're assuming that's probably when she was killed. Um, so, you know. That's like something that would never be able to be used as a clue today. Right. Because, like, my Apple Watch isn't just going to stop, stop. Right. Or my Fitbit isn't just going to stop at that certain time. It's going to keep. Go- I mean, with an Apple Watch, maybe it would recognize that you don't have a pulse anymore mm-hmm. can you do can it do I don't, that i don't know maybe if you set Anyways, it up it, that's just a really interesting clue that they can't use anymore yeah so six forty a.m is when that um receipt is date stamped for if she was killed around 3 a.m give him time to ransack the place a bit two and a half hour drive that's pretty close to the to the time frame he would have been at that at the airport um when they asked the gift shop clerk to describe the man they described someone who looked like roger um so after staying in duluth the couple stayed in a bloomington minnesota hotel and for anyone who's not from the minnesota area bloomington is where the airport is so bloomington is about two and a half hours again from duluth duluth is right up right up 35 on the shores of lake superior just a quick thing about that that cashier that worked at the airport how creepy does somebody have to be for you to to remember what they oh. look like that many days later yeah that's true like he must have just been like you or like you did say he was pretty messed up messed like he up, looked yeah. like he'd been in a fight so probably something you would remember yeah but like good on them Yes. Um, so when they were in the Bloomington, Minnesota hotel, um, Roger was collapsed and was taken to the hospital. Um, and he was actually found to have like a lot of sedatives in his body. And it's interesting because a few years prior, um, Elizabeth also was found with a bunch of these same sedatives in her body. And it was after apparently... Um, Marjorie had fed her some marmalade. No. Yeah. So. Oh my God, she's trying to off him now too. Apparently, that's. Just, oh my God, I did yeah. not know this. So I. But this is all allegedly. allegedly. Okay. I have to say okay. because okay. the police never found the marmalade or any of the pills, so they. Okay. They couldn't really say it was anything at that point. It was just like something I thought I should note because it's interesting. interesting. Yeah. Um. So. When Marjorie and Roger were in the hospital, police searched their hotel room there as well, and they found that garment bag matching the one bought at the gift shop the morning after the murder, and a small wicker basket filled with 25 pieces of Elizabeth's jewelry, including both the ring and the watch she'd been wearing at the time of her death. Why did they not get rid of that? Like, why are they carrying that... (laughs) carrying that with them that's like what he went to colorado unless maybe my only thought is maybe they stashed it somewhere in minnesota and then when they came back for the funeral that's when they were going to take it back oh. with them because why would you fly to colorado after you presumably murder someone with with all of with this, all this stuff. evidence yeah and then 
not take it with you then come back and to minnesota for the funeral and then have it with you then it just doesn't doesn't make sense yeah that's the only thing i can think of is that maybe and maybe they thought, well, it'll look less suspicious because people know I'm going home because yes, my mom just I've died. Yes, I've been there. Like, and like this, they know my mom is rich, and so yeah. like, oh my god, so sad. Yeah. So, um, they, while they were there as well, um, the hotel clerk in back in Colorado in Golden, Colorado, where they were staying at that motel, um, turned an envelope over to the police. Um, the envelope was for Roger. And it was postmarked from Duluth on the day of the murders. And the handwriting on the envelope matched Roger's. Um, Inside the envelope was a rare coin that was kept in Elizabeth's bedroom. Um, And apparently Roger was like a coin collector. So this is something he would have probably wanted. Yeah. It's a rare coin. It's probably worth a lot of money. So, yeah, apparently he mailed it to himself from Duluth. Again, why? (laughs) I mean, you're just making more evidence against your... Like, the, clearly, they don't think things through. Yeah. Because everything that they've done so far is really... Hasn't made any sense? No. And it, <laughs> it's really like, here, let us map this out for you with, like, yeah, all the evidence we're giving you. So, the final straw for police was when hair and blood found at the scene match Roger's hair and blood type. Now, remember, this is back in 1970, so they didn't have the DNA... Mm-hmm. technology that they have now so they couldn't say like definitively it was his they could just say yes these hairs match him and the blood type is the same as roger so did did marjorie and roger know that they were being looked at at this point or do they still have no idea that police are onto them you know i'm not 100 percent sure i'm gonna assume they probably know at this point okay. since their hotel rooms have been searched and things like that okay. but i'm i'm not 100 percent sure i didn't know if there was any evidence that they knew or not so I just thought I'd ask it didn't say when I was researching and okay. I'll cite my sources after this too I was gonna cite mine at the end too. <laughs> yes <laughs> and we'll put them in the show notes too yeah so people can go read um so nine days after the murders Roger Caldwell was officially arrested and charged with two counts of attempted first degree murder now I don't know why it's attempted first degree murder that confused me a little bit so if anyone's like a lawyer out there or someone who's smarter than us and this type of thing yeah because send us an email that would be great because attempted murder because they both die yeah they're both dead so it is murder but it said attempted first degree murder so i wonder if it's the degree it could be we are not lawyers no we are not lawyers (laughs) (laughs) um he was found guilty and sentenced to two life sentences holy cow so he's still in prison we will get to that as well okay sorry (laughs) i keep jumping ahead on you my bad (laughs) Um, Marjorie was then charged with murder conspiracy and aiding and abetting murder. However, she was found not guilty. And in one of the articles I read, it actually said that the jurors really liked her and they actually went and partied with her after the trial. Oh my God. Now that was in one article I read. So I'm not like, again, 100% sure that's actually true, but that was stated in one of the articles that I read. Oh my God. Yeah. That's so jacked up. Yeah, apparently they, like, dressed her up in, like, super, like, 
you know conservative clothing and she sat and she like knit at the oh. the table and i believe so her lawyers really like yeah, played up this she like baked a cake when it was somebody's birthday and like brought it in like she just was oh, like a master manipulator she knew exactly what she was doing oh my god um her defense team attacked mistakes police had made at the crime scene such as too many people allowed at the crime scene um police officers were dis guarding cigarette butts in the same bathroom toilet that roger supposedly cleaned up in and i know this is the (laughs) 70s but like if our listeners could see my face right now they would just be like that's why i stopped talking i was like i know she has something to say (laughs) um the main piece of evidence that helped convict roger um, which was his fingerprint on the envelope that was mailed back to Col- Colorado, was actually discredited during Marjorie's trial as not his fingerprint. And because of this, the Minnesota Supreme Court ended up throwing out Roger's conviction in t- 1982. Okay. Yes. So he's he was out of jail. And, well, his conviction was overturned in 1982. Instead of going through a second trial, a plea deal was reached with Roger. Okay. He pleaded guilty to two counts of second-degree murder um, and also gave a confession, and he was given, like, time served. So he served five years in prison. For two murders? Yeah. Are you kidding me? Um, and in his confession, he didn't implement... That's Implicate. Implicate. There we go. <laughs> um, Marjorie at all, either. So he, they didn't. they said they didn't really get anything from the confession. He just was like, I did this. Well, because... It was pretty obvious that he'd done it. I mean, I don't think any of us are... Yeah. Even now, I don't think anybody questions, like, oh, maybe it wasn't maybe him. Maybe it wasn't him. No, I would I would say it's probably pretty pretty safe to say he definitely did it. Is he still alive? <laughs> um, so Roger and Marjorie parted ways after the trials concluded. Mm-hmm. And in 1988, Roger Caldwell completed suicide. In That's actually really sad. suicide note, he claimed he was innocent. So I don't. <laughs> mm, I'm going to go with no. Yeah. It, I just have a really hard time believing that. Suicide is never a good thing. Me and you both agree on that. We're oh, absolutely. Big advocates for mental health. Mental health. And, yeah. yeah. Um, so that that's a sad ending to his story. He did murder two people. So. Yeah. And, and to like try and throw in, oh, I was innocent at the very end is just kind of weird. Yeah. I'm wondering if maybe he was like. Maybe he really thought he was innocent because maybe, you know, Marjorie really was the driving force behind everything. Yeah, and, and he like just, he said, like, in his own mind was like, well, yes, I did the act, but I don't know. Maybe, you know, you don't, we don't know what he was thinking. I mean, you, you did say she was a, a master, master manipulator. manipulator. Yeah. So I could understand why he'd be like, oh, well, she, you know, especially after parting ways with her and, like, I'm assuming he got nothing from this. Like, no money or anything, because if they're not together, Mm-mm. unless he sues her for it, which would be, like, ew, gross, don't do that. Yeah, and, I mean, he got out of jail in 1982, and he completed suicide in 1988. Um, they weren't together anymore. Like I said, they separated after the trial, so maybe he just wanted to move on and try to forget about this part of his life. He moved back to his hometown, I believe. Okay. Um but yeah. And then what about her? Do you have any updates on her? Is she still around? Yeah. So I, I want to get into her story a little bit too. Ooh. Um, so that kind of is the end of the, the Glen Sheen 
part of okay. the story, but Marjorie and herself is just so batshit crazy. <laughs> I just can't even wrap my mind around her and her story. It's just, I can't believe more people don't talk about this, this on true crime podcasts. I know that during a, like a live show, one has done it. I don't want to, I don't really want to name any other podcast just, just cause like, I don't, I don't know if we should or whatever, but, um, I, you listen to a bunch and I listen to a bunch and I have never heard anyone cover Glenn Jean. No. And again, just Marjorie herself. So let me get into a little bit of her story here. Okay. So I'm so ready for this. Um, she's, she's wild. So after her and Rogers separated, Marjorie married her third husband. So she was married once before Roger and then she married her third husband, Wallace um, Hagen in 1982, although she was ne- never legally divorced from Roger. So she was then charged with bigamy. Yeah. Because <laughs> she got married twice. Yeah. Um, in 1984, so two years after she got married, um, she was convicted of arson again. Uh, again. Yes. After burning down <laughs> her home in Mound, Minnesota. Um, she oh, so she lived back in Minnesota. Yeah, she lived point? in Minnesota. Uh, well, as far as I can tell, up to nineteen, well, nineteen ninety. Um, so after she burned down her Mound, Minnesota home, she served twenty-one months in prison. And then the next thing I have here is the nineteen ninety. She moved to Ajo, Arizona. Okay, I hope I said that right. It's A J O Ajo, Arizona. Um, while there, she was a suspect in multiple fires. Until finally, in 1991, I want to point out, between 1990 and 1991... There were multiple fires. She was a suspect in multiple oh fires. My God. Well, you know, they do say arsonists kind of are like rapid fire, yeah. <laughs> but uh-huh. not intended. <laughs> so in 1991, she was caught trying to light her neighbor's house on fire while he was still inside. Oh, my God. Yeah. And I read his, like, story in um one of these books that I read, and it's wild how he he caught her. But I guess they were having some problems. I mean... She, I don't think she'd be the best neighbor. I was going to say that doesn't sound all that surprising. <laughs> no. Um, so she was a convicted of attempted arson. But before her sentencing, she was allowed 24 hours to move her husband, um, Wallace, from Tucson to Ajo. Um, he was in like a, like a care home. Of, oh, okay. Yeah, he was having some health problems. Um, but just within hours of Wallace Hagen being in Ajo, he was dead. Oh my God. Yeah. You were not kidding. This woman is wild. No. So Marjorie had stated that they had a suicide pact, but she couldn't uphold her end of the pact. Mm, likely story. Marjorie, <laughs> yeah. likely story. She was charged with murder, but the charges were later dropped. So let me tell how? you how. Okay. So... <laughs> Let me just tell this this little story here. Allegedly, Marjorie had taken to... This is how allegedly he died. Okay. Allegedly had taken the gas hose from the stove, given her husband multiple sed- sedatives, which we have seen... Her do before. Before, yes. And then taped the end of the hose over his nose. Oh my God. Yeah. But 
Although tests did show that Wallace had died of a drug overdose, so police couldn't prove that 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 theory and therefore prove it was murder. But that is the alleged story. (laughs) Oh my god. Yeah. (laughs) This is wild. Like, growing up here and, like, having family that lives in in that area of Glensheen, we knew the story of Glensheen, you know, of the double murder and, like, it was the daughter who was adopted, its husband, and, like, we knew that part, but this is wild. Yeah. Well, I'm not done. There's oh, my one, God, what? There's one more <laughs> one more death that we need to talk about. Oh, my God. Is it hers? Please tell me it's hers. <laughs> no. Oh, my God. So, okay. unfortunately, back in 1994, um, oh, sorry, this is in 1994. So, this is after she was... Um, after the third husband's death. Yes, so after she was convicted of the arson, um, Wallace's kids from his first marriage alleged in a St. Paul Pioneer Press article that Marjorie was responsible for both their mother and father's death. So their mother had been in a nursing home in 1980 when she suddenly went into a coma and died after Marjorie had been to visit her. Marjorie was allegedly seen feeding her something from a jar right before she died. Let me guess, it was tapioca pudding. Or marmalade. Or marmalade, yeah. Yeah. Um, Just again, trying to think, like, what's the most Minnesotan thing? Right. It was Ludafesque. Uh, That's what it was. In a oh. jar? I don't Is know. Is that what it comes in? I have no idea. I've never had it. Don't I'm a terrible know. Minnesotan, but it smells like death, so I will not be trying it. So, again, allegedly never proven, but it's a little suspect that Marjorie comes to visit his, her guy that she marries. Yeah. Because Wallace moved into Marjorie's home right after his wife's death. Goes to visit her for some reason, feeds her something, and then she goes into a coma and dies. That's so sketch. Oh, my God. Yeah. It's really sad, actually. It's so sad. So, not only do we have Wallace, we have Wallace's wife, Velma, and her mom, Elizabeth. And then... And and if you really look at it, you could probably include Roger's suicide. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah, I would agree with that for sure. Um, So that's five deaths we have here um, that she never was charged for. Oh, my God. Never went to jail for. However, she did go to jail for the arsons. So between 1993 and 2004, Marjorie spent a total of 11 of her 15 scheduled years in prison for the arson fires in Ajo. Honestly, that's actually pretty good. For, 11 years. Yeah. Like, yeah. I would have ex- expected. Because her, her ex got less yeah. for murder. Well, yeah. Didn't he? He got, like, what, three? Well, he had two life sentences originally. Yeah, and then but he did only five served. years time served. Yeah. yeah. So, like, she served more time for some fires. And as a white lady, that's pretty impressive. Yeah. So... After her release, she moved between places in Arizona, often having problems with multiple neighbors. Surprise, surprise. (laughs) But it was probably the neighbors. Oh, yeah. It was obviously Emily was the neighbors. Probably not her. (laughs) Um, In 2007, she was convicted of fraud, theft, forgery, and computer tampering after she became friends with an elder man in his 70s, became his power of attorney, and then was caught trying to deposit his $11,000 inheritance into her account after he died. Marjorie had the body cremated before the police could ever determine a cause of death. So she probably has six deaths. Okay. So this is a serial killer. Yeah. <laughs> or not, well, 
a person who has lots of death follow them because she hasn't she's either like the most unlucky person in the whole entire world and just like everything she touches dies or there's something going on here yeah i'm gonna go with the option two thank you and i said she was convicted of all those things but she was not convicted sorry she was charged with all those things okay she pled guilty to attempted forgery and was sentenced to just three years probation are you kidding me (laughs) she is getting the best lawyers or like just the dumbest judges like what yeah because like would it wouldn't you i don't again not a lawyer not a judge but as a person when i'm like looking at people i kind of take their past history into account so like if i were to hire this person who has a history of stealing from their employers i'm probably not gonna hire them yeah so you would think they would say this is something sketchy is going on here so clearly she's probably still doing this sketchy stuff and it just doesn't seem like any of that is being taken into account. I don't know if they can, but it just is so shady. Yeah. And so I read an article. One of the articles I read was um, from 2017, and she was like 85 at that point. Okay. And one of the questions was, now that she's 85, like, should we consider her any less dangerous? And, like, the person was like, no. <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say, I don't, I would consider her still a threat, and I'm really glad she's probably still in Arizona. (laughs) Yeah, so she, to sum it up, um, as far as I know, Marjorie is still alive and is living in Arizona. Um, Like I said, the last thing I saw about her was in 2017, so that would make her around 88 years old today. Um, And yeah, so that's the... The crazy, insane, sad story of Elizabeth Congdon and Velma and her adopted daughter, Marjorie. That's crazy. I have to be honest with you. Like, I'm actually really scared of Marjorie. (laughs) (laughs) I'm really hoping she, like, doesn't stumble across this podcast if she's still alive and, like, comes after me. There was, like, all these rumors, though, when I worked at Glensheen that, like, Marjorie wasn't allowed in the state of Minnesota. Like, I don't know if that's actually true or not. I know for sure she's not allowed on the Glensheen Mansion property. I was going to say, so they, did like, she get her inheritance? She though? got $40,000 of okay. the, the $8.2 Okay, million. so that's, I mean, that's not as much as she should have gotten, which probably irked her to no end oh i'm sure she was probably livid that yeah. she didn't get all that money her poor sister <sighs> jennifer yeah i believe jennifer wrote a book really that would be an, a good read i believe so there's some really good books about this oh, I bet. this story one of them written by like one of the lawyers involved in the original trial that one was awesome i want to say her her sister wrote a book yeah there's some really good books about about this story but yeah when I worked at Glenchy and they literally were like, you have to look out for this person because she's do they, like, not allowed here. Do they have like her current ID photo or like, because they showed me a photo. I can't. It, do they really? Yes. I oh mean, this God. was back in like, this was a couple. 17? 2016, 2017 maybe. Okay. So it definitely could be different now. And who knows? It wasn't, like, my manager or anything that showed me this. This was, like, someone who was, like, training me in. So okay. it could have just been, like, on the DL. Like, don't watch uh, out for this person. Oh, here's a little secret thing. Yeah. Okay. But there is this lady there that, like, 
had worked there for a very long time and she said that there was like one time where they thought that she showed up <gasps> and like there was like this big hoopla but before the police could get there she, like the lady had already left but then that night the security system on the third floor somebody tripped the security system on the third floor of the mansion so like do you so think they she have was like, like hiding out in the mansion maybe or like she knew oh a back god. way in oh and god. knew how to get up to the third floor oh, and that just gave me like neck chills <laughs> i know oh I, I hate that again this is just a story someone told me so i don't know how true it is but like by the time police got there again there was like nothing there nothing was stolen so you know she lived there for her whole how childhood many years yeah. she would probably know how to get well especially between kids. the floors yeah without anyone oh knowing that is so the oh, security the security system there is like motion censored okay so yeah they don't it was this, it's a little weird that like someone showed up that looked like her and then the same night that happened and again i want to reiterate this is all allegedly it could have just been like a story that she was like oh new girl let's tell your story let's break but, her out a little bit yeah i did not okay. like being in there alone let oh, me tell you. I bet. Did you have to close often? And like, no, okay, good. They they held like parties there, mm-hmm. and the whole staff, mostly I should say, except for like the upper management, is students. They only hire students from because, the University of Minnesota Duluth. Okay, so it's like a work study program, kind, kind of. of yeah, you don't have you like they don't have the same requirements. Like you don't have to qualify for work study okay. to be able to work there. Okay. Um. That'd be a dope place to work. It though. was really fun. <laughs> I remember you telling me stories and being like, oh my God, it's so fun. And like, we have, I work with the best people. And yeah, so. a lot of like theater majors, they love to work there. Oh, I bet. Cause yeah. giving tours must be like super, super fun. fun. Yeah. So it's a really cool place. I really recommend if anyone is ever in the Duluth area to give it a, a look, a tour. You are know. they giving tours during covid do you know yeah they are okay cool yep they're still open i think tour groups are a little bit wear your masks people yeah we're not joking i think tour groups are a little bit smaller than they were okay before um but yeah it's a beautiful place beautiful grounds you can explore the grounds and it's even pretty like no matter what season yeah. from what i remember yeah and they do a lot of fun events there so um this is a a shameless plug for Glensheen Mansion. <laughs> You're welcome, Glensheen. Um, go in the wintertime. It's really pretty at Christmas. <laughs> oh, I bet. Do they decorate and everything? Yeah, they have like oh my over 100 Christmas trees. It's awesome. Holy cow. And if you're a University of Minnesota Duluth student, you get free tours. So, well, what shameless if- plug for University of Minnesota Duluth. <laughs> go Bulldogs. <laughs> I was wondering if that was going to slip in here. Um, at least you didn't mention that they were like state champs or what, nope. or, or not state national. champs, national champs. Back to back. No big deal. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's the story of Glensheen Mansion. Um, that was really cool. Thank I'm, you. I'm really glad that you did that one for your first one. I was so excited because like, like we said, like we've never really seen it been done and I'm sure there are other podcasts out there that have talked about it that we just haven't seen, but yeah. I was like. I love this story and so many people like again know the Glensheen story but they don't know that much about Marjorie so yeah she crazy yeah she is crazy let's lock our doors tonight oh I will I'll make sure to lock <laughs> security doors. system on yeah 
My All right. Wings Sirius, sure. you have a very important job. If anyone comes to the house, bark loud. Sirius doesn't bark. Yes, he does. Yeah, he barks. <laughs> He's looking at me like, yeah, I do. <laughs> um, do we want to plug our social oh, yeah. medias? No, do your so- sources first. Oh, yes, my sources. Yeah. Um, let me pull them up really quick. The Duluth News Tribune was one. Um, and then the other one was zenithcity.com. So Duluth News Tribune and ZenithCity.com. Um, again, I'll plug the books too. One's like Glenshine's Daughter. One is Nightingale. Those are awesome. Highly recommend those reads to anyone who likes a good true crime. Okay, book. and then our socials are um, we're on Instagram at MW Madness Podcast. And then our email is the same thing, mwmadnesspodcast at gmail.com. So if you have any topics that you guys think we should cover, um, especially like the conspiracy stuff, because I don't know a ton of of conspiracy stuff, send it our way. Um, If you have any comments or questions or corrections. Yes. uh, Please. please tell us but like be nice be about nice. it we're minnesotans and our feelings get really hurt really easily and we're like really passive aggressive so like just be nice to us <laughs> um and oh i was gonna say one more thing but i'm like brain farting right now oh that's the worst oh no oh i was gonna say that i we will put like pictures yes. and things that go with the episode on our instagram as yep. well when this episode drops i'm so, so excited thanks for giving us a listen and hopefully you guys will be back next we're doing every other week for now right i think we're doing every week oh we are that's yeah oh Let, you're right you're yeah, right you're every right. week yeah every week every <laughs> tuesday yes we will drop a new episode so we hope you uh continue to give us a listen and I don't know. Do you have any? Give us that subscribe, please. Oh yeah. Subscribe to our podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Thanks for listening. All right. Bye.